It's Monday, July 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Jason Moser in the house. Good to see you. Well, hello there. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing Good. well because earnings season is heating up. In fact, we've got <laughs> we've got previews on a couple of businesses we're going to get to. We're also going to dig into the ripple effects of slowing population growth here in the United States. But we're going to start with a strong second quarter from Hasbro. Shares of the toy maker up 10% this morning after really great revenue in Q2. Demand for board games up big during the pandemic. Not a big surprise there. And um, I'm, I'm always reminded when I look at reports from Hasbro that they have a TV production business, and <laughs> it is it is getting back to work. It is. It is. It's good to see. It, it feels like all um, all of this business is getting back to work. It, it, it feels like the Wizards of the Coast and the digital gaming segment was the real story for the quarter. Uh, but but I, I think as you noted, it was really a strong performance all the way around. Um, revenue for the quarter up fifty four percent to one point three two billion. There was a small tailwind. Uh, from some currency effects, but they saw strong performance really across all their major lines of business. The consumer product segment, that revenue was up 33%. Uh, as I mentioned, the Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming segment, that more than doubled. That revenue more than doubled. Um, and, and the entertainment segment, yeah, revenue up 47%. So they're getting back to work there, which is nice to see. Uh, all really boiled down to adjusted net earnings of $1.05 per share. Uh, they had unloaded a, a little uh, music side of a business uh, that they had acquired recently. So that uh, played into the financials a little bit. But but all, all things considered i mean yeah it, it was a good quarter and it seems like the business is uh is recovering nicely from from a very tough 2020 you and i have talked about the toy industry for years now and there's a good stretch of time where mattel was the clear leader and hasbro was tr- playing catch up that has reversed over the past 5 years although i i'm curious to see what mattel reports um, yeah. I'm pretty sure they're reporting later this week because they're kind of like Home Depot and Lowe's. They go one day after the other. But shares of Mattel have nearly doubled over the past year. I get that's off of years <laughs> of underperformance and, and sort <laughs> yeah. of a low base. But um, it does make me wonder if Mattel is close to uh, turning the corner. It feels like they are. I mean, it certainly was a long, tough slog for Mattel. I mean, there was some uh, rotation there in, in the executive suite. They lost, obviously, a very big relationship with Disney uh, a while back that, um, you know, who knows really how they let that happen to begin with. But, I, you know, when I look at these two businesses, I, I do favor Hasbro over Mattel simply because of just the, the Number one, the breadth of of the offerings. I mean, they they just have such a strong catalog. I mean, when you just look at the franchise brands alone, um, I mean, the, the Wizards of the Coast. I mean, they've got that Magic: The Gathering, which is part of that. Nerf, Transformers, Play-Doh, uh, My Little Pony. Those are just resilient brands that seem to stay a bit more relevant than what Mattel has um, has been able to, to to manage here over the last several years. Um, I think the interesting thing. In regard to Hasbro, particularly when you look at the way the stock is performing today, I mean, the market clearly loves this report, and and I can understand it from the perspective of the results they recorded. But I think that the market is also looking at some news they dropped in the call, which is playing out. So we've been talking a lot about inflation lately and how that's playing into. Uh, the way these businesses are modeling the rest of the year in 2022 is is inflation transitory, or is it something that's going to be a bit more permanent? Uh, management on on the call there offered some 
pretty interesting context. So margins were performing very well. I mean, they, they looked at actually, uh, but but when they, they talked about operating expenses, right, they talked about, they referred to ocean freight costs specifically. And freight and input costs are significantly higher this year than last. And, and they're actually projecting on average that those costs are going to be more than four times higher this year versus last year. And as such, they are passing through price increases here. They're going to pass through price increases during the third quarter. That should ultimately be fully realized by the fourth quarter. And follow me here, Chris. You know the third and the fourth quarter. I mean, we're leading into that that yes. all-important holiday season. <laughs> I mean, there is a lot of potential for this to be a really – a terrific holiday season for a lot of a lot of businesses. I mean, there's going to be some pent up demand. There's some consumers with with uh, some fairly healthy bank accounts thanks to all the stimulus. Um, if, if Hasbro is able to pass through some cost increases to really uh, help combat this inflation, I mean that really does that really does speak to the power of this business and the breadth of his offering. I mean that that's encouraging. I think that's part of the reason why the market's so excited about the back half of the year because it seems like they've got a little bit of a one-two pop here on the tailwind side uh, in in being able to respond to inflation as well as the, the prospect of a, of a uh, you know a, a very healthy holiday season. Well, and if you're Target or Walmart, something like that definitely goes. I shouldn't say definitely almost certainly goes in the plus column if Hasbro is able to pull this off. I would agree. And they did note, too, inventory levels uh, had started to normalize. They were lower than they were at this point a year ago, which means that these retail partners are going to be back to really uh, you know, stocking those shelves to get those inventory levels nice and healthy for the holiday season. Yet yet another, another check in the, uh, in, the plus, in the plus column. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that America's population growth is the slowest it's been in a century. For the 12-month period ending July 1st, 2020, population growth in America was just 0.35%. And in half of all states last year, more people died than were born. And for context, the year prior to that, that was the case in only five states. And yes, go ahead and insert every disclaimer about the pandemic. But you look at the trend, Jason, over the past 15 years, it has been steadily downward. And one of the things that this article in the journal went into was the ripple effect for industries. And I'm curious how you think about something like this, assuming in general, we see the trend continue of, of, of just, you know, basically... Um, yes, the population continues to grow. It just it just grows at a slower rate. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it 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 makes sense, right? I mean, a growing population begets a growing economy, and and that's what really helps these businesses continue to grow. Uh, and and they're you know they're going to be two, I guess, really primary sources of population growth, and that's just through births and through immigration, right? And and uh, it's understandable. Um, that, that we're not seeing necessarily the same demographic expansion here in the near term because of, of uh, certain headwinds. Uh, but but when you when you look at the numbers, I mean historically, the, the data in this article is really fascinating. I, mean, I feel like this this entire piece could be a show on its own. Like you could just sit here and have a conversation for an hour about the stuff that this talks about. But uh, I mean, essentially historically, nearly half of our economic growth has been driven by the expansion of the working age population. And right now, 
we're faced with a working age population that is essentially stalling. And so that means that's going to play out on that economic growth as well. So you start looking at um, ways that we might overcome this. I mean, the, the birth rates, I, I suspect we'll see that pick back up. Um, but, but I mean, the greater conversation regarding immigration, I think I mean, immigration is always going to be a hot button issue for a lot of folks. But I, I think that if, you, if you're looking towards a, a, an economy that is growing, that is developing, that is evolving, I mean, I, I think you, you have to argue for a strong immigration uh, policy, right? I mean, strong immigration growth backed by strong and sensible immigration policies. I mean, that just makes sense. I mean, I think it's very important for our politicians in D.C. to really focus on that because it's going to be something that matters the bigger, the bigger we get. And um, again, you, you start trying to figure what problems need to be solved. And it, it does look like one of the problems is that rural America just continues to face challenges in bringing uh, population growth in, which then helps that, that rural America continue to grow and develop. So you start trying to figure out ways to solve perhaps that problem, um, getting more people into these rural areas. Then I start looking at, so you incentivize reasons for people to go uh, to those places. I mean, you need to develop, right? You need real estate. You need home builders. You need suppliers. You need things that are always going to be in demand in good times and bad health care infrastructure. So it, it, there, there are opportunities that come from this. It's, it's understanding how immigration and, and birth rates play together, the, important, the importance that, that both play in the overall economy. And, and there's absolutely um, opportunities that can, that can come from both. Even if we're faced with a near-term issue of, of birth rates declining, I mean, immigration is always going to be part of our country's growth, and it's going to be an important part of it. And, and so possibly one way to look at it is more development in a lot of rural America. And in order to do that, it just requires investment in those key areas, real estate, home builders, suppliers, healthcare infrastructure, things like that. A lot of opportunities uh, with companies in those spaces, for sure. One other thing I'll just uh, throw out there, and this was uh, mentioned in the article, because we talk from time to time about the corner office. Like, who's the CEO of any given company, and how long is that person going to be there? And if they're going to retire, what's the plan to replace them? That sort of thing. And this article went a step further to talk about senior management in general, particularly when it came to the healthcare industry, information technology, and engineering. And so that was one of those things where I read that. I was like, oh, okay. You know, again, everything you mentioned in terms of um, why this could be a, a good holiday season for Hasbro. Um, we've seen s similar stats about older Americans who are nearing retirement age, and, the, and if they've been investing in the stock market, um, maybe they're closer to retirement from a financial standpoint. Um, so I've seen plenty of articles that have sort of called out this idea of um, I, I forget, was it the Harvard Business Review? One of them referred to it as the great resignation wave. That over the, <laughs> that yeah. over the next 18 to 24 months, uh, white-collar workers um, who maybe were five to 10 years away from retirement just sort of look around at their situation and go, you know what, I think, I think six more months and I'm, I'm going. And that, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, there are really well-run IT businesses, healthcare engineering um, you can throw software in there as well. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to watch um, 
How many times the word hiring shows up on conference calls over the next year? Yeah, I have to believe that we're, we're putting ourselves in a position for, for a, a nice little hiring binge over the next several several years based on that and, and it's it's also i mean it's interesting that they they also refer to the to this the great wealth transfer right i mean you got a lot of folks getting ready to go ahead and pull back on the working hours and start enjoying the the rest of of their lives and they've been preparing for this and they're getting ready to spend a lot of that money right i mean it's a lot of money that in theory should be pumped back into the economy um and in in it's also worth remembering i mean we go back to that rural america um question i mean now in this day and age where we're seeing more opportunities for sort of that uh, lack of a better word peripatetic lifestyle right people can just kind of pick up and move wherever they want to go whenever they want to do it um, I mean, maybe that, you know, all of a sudden you could find places where the cost of living is far more reasonable, more attractive. You go to a place where maybe it's not such a, the hustle and bustle of a big city. So, I mean, there's, there's a big opportunity, I think, there in a number of different ways um, to, to sort of spread the love so to speak chris and just get people into areas of the country that maybe haven't seen that development historically because of necessary reasons those reasons don't really exist as much anymore that could be very encouraging we're not going to have a guest on motley full money this week it's going to be an earnings palooza show uh, for oh, wow. the very basic reason that nearly 1000 companies are scheduled to report this week so let me hit you with two companies reporting later this week and Tell me one or two things you're going to be watching. Um, and I'll start with Teladoc, which for all of the great run that Teladoc has had over the last, let's call it four or five years, uh, in 2021, I believe it is down somewhere in the neighborhood of 50% from its high. Sure. Yeah. Well, let me set my coffee maker on stun because that man, we're going to we're going to be busy. It sounds like on Friday. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, Teladoc Health. It's obviously one that we followed for a long time here, and, and it's one that we watched uh, go crazy all all last year for obvious reasons. I mean, we've seen businesses just uh, react; uh, their stock prices react irrationally in some cases. I, I've Argued all the way up and, and all the way back to, to where, where the company's price is today. I mean, it was a bit irrational based on the fundamentals of the business. Um, I, I think the, the Livongo merger is still a big question, right? I mean, the market wants to see how that merger is progressing and, and make sure that it's something that ultimately makes sense. Uh, last quarter, you know, just to put some context around that, last quarter, uh, they had noted that total chronic care enrollment, that's really what that Livongo acquisition was about, chronic care enrollment was 658,000 members, which was a 66% increase over the prior year. Um, ultimately, it really is just about seeing more, uh, uh, we want to see more enrollment there, right? We want to see that chronic care enrollment continue to go up because that was the purpose of the acquisition. Uh, chronic care requires chronic uh, attention. It requires chronic attention. And, and that's something that, uh, that Teladoc and Lombongo together can really exploit and they can serve uh, those those uh, those chronic care patients because we know that's a large demographic. So we want to see growth there. Um, I think, it, we, you know, more language on the primary care offering because they really are building out this, this full service total care healthcare system, right? It's not just about seeing the doctor on your phone, right? It's not just about a video chat. I mean, it really is. They're building out a modern day healthcare company, uh, for lack of a better word. And into that end, we saw a headline here recently, a very big partnership they announced with Microsoft and their Teams platform. Um, that comes from the 
the InTouch acquisition from a little while back. If you remember, Teladoc Health acquired a company called InTouch, which is a, a provider of enterprise telehealth solutions for hospitals and health systems. Um, you know, I, I, you don't look at that partnership with Microsoft as a magic bullet or anything, but it's worth noting because when you become enmeshed in a network like that, and we know, I mean, Microsoft Teams' network is massive. I mean, there's a ton of potential. And when I say massive, I mean, last year, Teams reported over 145 million daily active users. That was almost double from a year ago. And the number of organizations with more than 1,000 users integrating their third party and business applications with Teams, that's increased nearly threefold from a year ago. So Teams is a big platform serving a lot of purposes. And to, to get into that network, I think, could be very lucrative for the business over time. Teladoc reports after the close on Tuesday, after the close on Wednesday, Qualcomm comes out with their latest quarter. What's something you're going to be watching there? Well, I, I think really, first and foremost, is the language regarding the supply shortage. Uh, I mean, Qualcomm is one of the biggest players in this space. It's an important business, and, and it's a good business, right? They have the chip side of the business, and they also have the licensing side of the business, which is uh, very profitable. Um, but but you looked at that chip side of the business, they continue to witness strong growth in all major aspects of the business, from handsets, they recorded 53% growth, uh, radio frequency front end, they, they recorded 39% growth. The automotive space, if they saw 40% growth in Internet of Things, 71% growth. I think those last two, uh, and automate, uh, automotive and IoT, uh, th those should continue to, I think, uh, grow given the rollout of 5G and, and just connectivity in general. Um, but, but when you look at the language from a quarter ago, I mean, they certainly acknowledge the shortage that they are utilizing their scale in, in, in trying to manage their global supply chain in order to be able to, to not only navigate the shortage, but really capture opportunity that might be slipping through other providers' uh, fingers. And, and they did note they expect material improvements by the end of the calendar year. Uh, I'd just be interested to see if that language is consistent, if they still feel that way. Yeah, and I think for all involved, not just Qualcomm shareholders, uh, the sooner the better. Hey, listen, <laughs> on the man, chips, on the components, to, everything. I, I, got, I got a daughter that's getting ready to get her driver's license, like her full-fledged license here in the next couple of months, Chris, which means now we're in the market for another car. And holy cow, let me tell you, the difference a year makes, I mean, wow, those those the prices on cars... Uh, you know, back to that inflation thing. I don't think we're looking at transitory inflation, man. I think I think this stuff is here to stay in a lot of ways. Which ultimately, investors, I just just it's important to focus on looking at those businesses with with demonstrable pricing power. They can be they can be real uh, real nice way to protect yourself against inflationary times. Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. You got it. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for today's edition. The show's mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.